All right, so this is our weekly Tanya class. We've been doing Tanya meditations for several weeks. I think we've done six of them, or six weeks of it. Yeah, that sound about right? I think that's right based on the, the videos. At least we have six weeks of video of it. And the premise is that we're going through, or for many of us here, we're going back through Tanya, because there's a group here that completed 53 chapters of Tanya, the 53 chapters of volume one of Tanya. And after we did that, we said, let's go back through chapters 41 through 50, where there are many meditations, and just actually do those meditations as, a, as an exercise. And that's what we've been doing. We're, we're not really learning the chapters as so much as consulting with those chapters as uh, notes for how to do the meditations that they describe. In a nutshell, that's what's happening right now. Okay. So do you remember last week which, which chapter we dwelt on for our meditation? 45. 45. 45. 45. And we know that meditations, at least Chabad meditations, Chabad means which is the intellect, which is kind of funny because I'm, I'm going to ask you this question. What is the purpose of a Chabad? Chochmah bin Adas is the three intellectual faculties. What's the purpose of a Chabad meditation? To generate, to generate emotions. That's so funny, though, because the name is intellect. Right. Explain that for a second. Okay, so the emotions come from the intellect. By the way, <coughs> you mentioned it in the Holy Realm. The same exact mechanics are true <coughs> in, the, in the opposite realm. Yeah, but the reverse. The emotions control the intellect. The emotions do, in, in the unholy realm, the emotions do come back and overpower the intellect. That is true. But they initially come from the intellect, meaning that... The, Emotions are always called the children of the intellect. It's just a question of who's running the home, the parents or the children. Right. right. But emotions are called children of the intellect. So the point is that the way that we guide our intellect is going to result in the types of emotions that we produce. All right, so the goal is emotions. And we have two general categories of emotions. Love and awe. Love and awe. Last week was which one, love or awe? Love, very good. Okay, we got another love one. And this is, I'm going to try to combine chapters 46 and 47 today. I'm going to read to you some text, not all. But from the very beginning of chapter 46, first line, he says, There's a straight path before you. Which is equal to all souls, meaning it's equally accessible to every type or every level. And it is very, very near to you, meaning very accessible, attainable. To do what? To arouse and cause to shine the love that is affixed, hidden in the heart. 
and to get that love to shine forth in a revealed way in the heart and mind. Okay, so he calls this a derech yashar, a straight path. Um, he calls it shavalachol nefesh, equally accessible to all. <coughs> <coughs> and he calls it Kariv Ma'id Ma'id. Very, very near. Now, I don't know if anyone remembers from when we learned chapter 46. And you don't have to because I'll repeat it now. There's an interesting feature of this particular meditation in 46, as well as 47. Hmm? Oh, you have the cough drop? Thank you. But I can't, I really would like to use the cough drop, but I think it's like going to be really obnoxious clicking the cough drop while I'm teaching, so. But I'm going to hold it as a schoola, and maybe it'll affect me. I'm drawing the soothing energy of the cough drop tactily. Okay, I feel, yeah, I feel good. Okay. As I explained earlier, I, thank God I'm not sick, but my throat is taxed beyond, because um, I was doing, I was speaking at a Shabbaton, and there's no microphone on Shabbos, and it just used up my throat. Okay. All right. So why is it so close, close? Why is it so equally accessible? Why is it a straight path? Here's the deal. You might claim that meditation is hard and that you're not on the level, and that actually you're spiritually not up to the task. So what he's going to say here is that that's great because I have a meditation for you where that spiritual inadequacy that you're invoking as your excuse is actually part and parcel of the meditation. Meaning if you really believe that you are not on the level to be able to successfully meditate, that's good. We're going to add that to what we're meditating on here in chapter 46. I'll spoil the suspense, but basically this meditation <coughs> is about contemplating the enormous gulf between us and Hashem. <coughs> and that the lower you feel, the, the less worthy you feel, the less spiritually competent you feel, the more it will actually intensify the effects of this particular meditation. This particular meditation. Because that's what the meditation is. It's thinking about ourselves being in a very lowly state and yet being recipients of Hashem's attention. So the more of a lowly state that you believe yourself to be in, the more that's going to help amplify the, the theme of this meditation. Does that make sense, what we're saying? Okay. <coughs> I just got a missed call from Tamar Pavsner, and she's a member of this class. So maybe she's calling to see if there's class. Tell her she should come down here. And we'll stall, and I'll tell jokes till she gets here. Okay. 
Free parking. Uh, there's free parking. Okay. <laughs> President's Day. Free parking if you can find it. You're right. That that was my experience as well. Lincoln and Washington. Okay. All right. Can you just repeat what you just said? The last sentence. The last sentence. Yeah. It's free parking if you can find it. I don't remember the last sentence, but the general. That the more that you think of yourself in a lowly state, the more it's going to actually help this meditation. But isn't that contradictory to what we've learned? Is it in contradictory to what we learned? It, everything we learn no, is contradictory it's, to it's, something else we learn because no, it is. Chapter 46. Yes. Oh, oh. If you feel loved, then you will feel loving toward him. Now you're saying if you feel less loved. No, 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 no. Hang in there. You're going to actually feel more loved because the more unlovable you are, the more loved you feel when you realize that you are nevertheless loved despite your unlovability. Someone says, everybody loves me. So they don't feel so loved by the person who loves them. But someone says, nobody loves me, but this person loves me. Then they feel extra loved. Yeah. Okay. This is love. It's not evident king. This is love. Yeah, it's a, it's a love meditation, not a yira, not an awe meditation. Okay. But when, when you think, like, because she said unlove, but I, exactly what you would like. <coughs> let, let, let's, you're everything's going to be answered. It's really rather simple. It's not deep. It's not deep. Really, let's not complicate it. Okay. All right. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I'm going to skip a few lines. And I'm going to read the lines where he explains the mechanics upon which this meditation is based. Meaning the effectiveness of this, medi- of this meditation is based on the premise that there are certain underlying mechanics of the human psyche. I'm skipping a few lines. I'm still in chapter 46. When you Think about what it says in the verse. This is a verse from Mishli, from the Proverbs of King Solomon. Kamaim aponim laponim, like water reflects a face to a face. Kain lev ha'adam el ha'adam, so too does the heart of a man reflect the heart of another man, person. It's not gender specific. <coughs> it's a concept that there is a basic reflex of the heart, the heart as the seat of emotion, to reflect back emotions that it receives. So just like water mirrors, you look in the water and you see your own reflection looking back at you, so too, when you feel an emotion coming from someone, there's an automatic response, it's a reflex response, to have the same type of emotion back to them. That's the premise here. The premise is, and this is why he says this particular meditation is uh, so easy, so accessible, so universally attainable, because it's working based on something that is just a, a natural reflex. <coughs> However you feel 
you are felt about, that's how you feel back toward the one who feels that about you. So if you feel loved, you'll feel loving. So all we have to do now is get ourselves to feel loved, and then we will feel loving. Now, a lot of us in 2024 just want to feel loved. But I just want to remind you that we came here to learn Tanya for higher goals than that. It's wonderful to feel loved, but feeling loved is a stepping stone to the ultimate goal of feeling loving, and not just feeling loving, but feeling specifically loving toward our Maker, so that we will be motivated to serve Hashem with joy and to feel fulfillment in being connected to Him through Torah and mitzvahs. So the ultimate goal is to feel that love, to feel loving toward Hashem, but the way we're going to get to feeling loving toward Hashem is that we're going to first feel loved by Hashem. Now you're going to say, well, I don't feel loved by Hashem. Okay, well, you didn't do the meditation yet. So that's, that's one thing. Another thing is, I'm really going to ask you not to do your own meditation silently, parallel to the main meditation. And if you choose to disregard that request, which you are entitled to do as adults with free will, please don't report to us your experience because everyone will be confused. Because we're going to do a meditation about how to feel loved by Hashem. If you're secretly stewing in your corner and doing a meditation about how you feel hated by Hashem and then you come back and tell us those results, we're not going to have the same results. So it's going to just, I have I, it's totally fine. You can do that meditation. Just don't tell us about how it made you feel because everyone else is going to be confused. Okay, We're going to do a meditation right now that's going to help us feel loved by Hashem. And then when we feel loved, we're going to feel loving. Now I'm going to add another love word here, but we already touched upon it earlier, which is lovable. Touched upon it a few minutes ago. Part of our, you know, feeling loved is not just this binary, all or nothing, black and white thing. There there, there are gradations. How loved? So here's what we're going to explain. The more unlovable we feel, then the more, by contrast, we're going to feel loved when Hashem loves us. So... This meditation, basically, it's a funny meditation, but what it's going to do is it's going to amplify our feelings of being unworthy of love, but we're not going to stop there. That would be cruel. (laughs) We're then going to lead that into this contrast, but even when we were at our most unlovable... Hashem loved us. Wow. And then when we feel that we're loved, it's going to automatically be reciprocated, that kamaim haponim elponim, just like the water reflects the face, and we're going to feel loving. Okay? So everyone understand what's happening here? There's no surprises? Okay. Fine. (laughs) So, I want to tell you also, I think I told you this when, when we learned chapter 46 the first time, that when my kids were little, I told this meditation to them as a bedtime story without telling them where it's from. I just told it to them as a story. Okay, 
so here's the story. It's a beautiful story. Before, because the, the story really starts with a lead in Achas Kama Vakama, how much more so? All right, so let me just say one more thing. I said the more unlovable you feel, the more that will amplify the feeling of being loved when you are loved. There's another factor. The more great that the one who loves you is, the more loved or the more intensely loved you will feel. So there are two factors here. My lowness and the one who loves me, their highness. And the more that's amplified, <coughs> meaning he says like this, the reciprocal nature of love, the reflect, like water reflects a heart, like water reflects a face, the heart reflects a heart. That'll happen if, if we're dealing with peers on the same level. But if there's a discrepancy, it only amplifies it. It only serves to amplify it. <coughs> Meaning, the, the more you feel that the person who loves you is way above your station, the more intensely loved you're going to feel, and therefore the more intensely loving you'll feel back. Okay, so that's why he says, achas kama v'kama, how much more so, imelech godol v'rav mara avose hagdeilevo if a great king shows his intense love, yet to a commoner, and he's not just a common commoner, Vinivze, he's despised, Ushvala Noshim, he's a lowly person, Umanuval, he's a how do you how to translate that? A wretched person, Hamutul Baashba sitting on the garbage heap. So, now we're getting into the metaphor. Here's the story. This is the story I would tell my kids. We have two characters in this story. Who's the first character we mentioned? The king. The king. Romance. This was, yeah. Which king was this? I mean, not which king, but what kind of a king? What, how did you describe this king? The greatest. Great. I, I don't know if he said the greatest, but he said great. He said, Melech Rav, Godol Verav, <coughs> a big king. All right, and who's the other guy in the story? The guy sitting on the garbage dump. Okay, and so he <coughs> is probably at the lowest level of status. So you're talking about the person <coughs> of the highest level. And the person at the lowest level. Right, so we have this very big discrepancy. And that's all part of amplifying the love that's going to get triggered. Lowest level in terms of what? First of all, remember it's a metaphor. Yeah. In this metaphor, there is a social hierarchy. And in that metaphorical world where there's a social hierarchy, it is recognized that there are great people and there are low people. Now you're going to say, that's injustice. I want to fight the social injustice of this metaphorical pretend world that was constructed in order to help me meditate. I don't know how to get to that world, so I can't help you there. But yeah, it's just a fiction. So let's not get too wrapped up in why is there this caste system and why is this guy on the garbage heap? What kind of a king even allows someone to live on a garbage heap? Why? How do you get there in the first place? And 
I don't know. He just, he's on the garbage heap. Okay. So today you'd say he's pushing a shopping cart collecting uh, cans. Okay, fine. So we're talking about the highest person in society and the lowest person in society. Now, V'yedeh day love. Memokim kvedeh al kol im kol sodav yachtov. He comes out from the place of his glory, presumably his palace, with his entourage accompanying him. And where's he going? Where's the king going? Where's the king? The king left his palace with his whole entourage. Where is he off to? Is he visiting another king? Is he welcoming a group of dignitaries? We, we, don't, we don't have anything on the calendar today. Where's the king going? He goes down to this guy. I mean, he's heading down to the... Where's the king going? To the... Where's he going? To the garbage heap? Why is the king going to the garbage heap? He lifts up that wretched guy from the garbage heap. He says, come here. Get up off that garbage heap. And he takes him into his palace. The palace of the king. So not only did the king go down to the garbage heap. What's a king doing in a garbage heap? But he went down there. Why? Because that guy was there. Apparently he wanted that guy. And he went to that guy. <coughs> and he lifted him up. And not only did he lift him up. He said, come with me. And they went back into the palace together. <coughs> and they went into one room after the next, meaning deeper and deeper into the palace. To the VIP area, the exclusive area, where no servant or even dignitary was permitted to enter. So now he's gone rags to riches. From sitting on the garbage heap to all of a sudden, minutes later, he is in the chamber of the palace where no one has access. And what happens there? The king unites with this person there, with true oneness. With hugs and kisses. With a cleaving of breath to breath. We mentioned this in chapter 45, that the idea of, well, I don't want to give away the, uh, the meaning of it, but you guys already learned chapter 5, that when we speak words of Torah, so it's our mouth to Hashem's mouth, so to speak, and that's the metaphor of the kisses. Behold lay v'nefesh with his entire heart and soul. Okay. So al-achas kama v'kama. How much more so? How much more than what? How much more than the fact that the reciprocal nature of the heart is always built in, even if you're talking about two people on the same level. So how much more so? If there is this gulf between them, where one is this great awesome king and the other is the like, lowest guy on the totem pole, and they have this beautiful moment of intimate connection, this lowly commoner, this wretched per- person, is going to have this intense feeling of love triggered. 
It's not even going to have to be something he thinks about. It just will be automatically triggered toward the king. With this feeling of being bound up soul to soul, um, with his entire heart and soul from the depths of his heart. This is the beautiful part. And even if his heart were like a stone, it will melt and become like water. His heart will flow forth like water. In a manner of the soul expiring, like his soul just leaping out of his body out of love for the king. Okay, so that's our story. That's our story. That's our imagery. That's our little fairy tale. It's just a fiction. Just a metaphor. But it's a very clear metaphor that helps us to hit all the plot points that the meditation needs to hit. How far? So far, we're, we're okay? All right. Vihine. So here's the point. This is what you're supposed to be thinking in the background. Here's the meta text of this metaphor, this parable. Kehola devadamoyle. Just like all of the details here. With all of the imagery. And actually, infinitely even more so. Did our God do for us? And it's referring to the Exodus. And now he breaks it down why this little metaphor is such a convenient way of tapping into the emotional content of the story of the Exodus. First of all, Hashem's greatness, you want to talk about a great king? His greatness is endless. <laughs> he fills all worlds <coughs> and he encompasses all worlds. The <coughs> He presides over infinite worlds. There are infinite angels in each world. So we're talking about a king with an entourage. And this entourage, this angelic entourage is infinite. How many, how many uh, angels does he have in each troop? It's a whole discussion of how many. Are there thousands, thousands of thousands? But all of it is not before him. Because 
And yet all of these angels are not before him like the nullification of speech while it is still in the mind or even in the heart of the person who speaks it. And we've used that metaphor earlier in Tanya. And all of these angels are searching, where is Hashem's glory? And they answer, the world is full of His glory. But yet, Hashem sets aside <coughs> the higher worlds and lower worlds. And yet he focuses himself in a special way upon the Jewish people. And he takes them out of Egypt. Which was the lewdness of the land, the most depraved place. Makam Hazuhama Vahatuma, a place of spiritual impurity. Not through an emissary, not through an angelic agent. But Hashem Himself went down there. Hashem says, I myself will go down there to save them. Okay, so now we have the parts of the metaphor where we are at our lowest. We're in the lewdness of the land, Ervas Aaretz, Mitzrayim, which was a terrible place to be, not just because of the servitude, yes, obviously, enslavement wasn't very fun, but because of the depravity of the environment. And as you know, during enslavement, the Jewish people did succumb to many of the ways and beliefs of their captors. And so we were not in a good place, sort of like this guy living on the garbage heap. And Hashem is coming down with his entourage, his angelic entourage, and he comes down to the nastiest place. He didn't, he didn't even send an emissary. He could have said, you know, I'll send you my limo driver. I'll come pick you up from the garbage heap. No, he himself came down to the garbage heap. Hashem came to Mitzrayim. Hold on. Don't think too much. Hashem comes down to the garbage heap. It's in the Haggadah. It's in the Haggadah, yeah. Yeah. Just absorb, just absorb. Okay. It's a bedtime story. If, if I'm doing it right, you should fall asleep. Okay. <laughs> Hashem's coming down to the garbage heap. <coughs> coming down to Mitzrayim. And then what does he do? We're following the metaphor. I'm just filling in what the metaphor is really about. And he comes down to Egypt. He comes down to the garbage heap. This great king, Hashem. And to do what? To take the Jewish people and bring them close to him in the true sense of closeness. With real closeness of the soul. In a manner of kisses mouth to mouth. Why kisses mouth to mouth? I told you. To speak the word of Hashem, which is halacha. In other words, Hashem took us out of Egypt, not just to save us from slavery, but to bring us to Sinai, to the revelation at Sinai, the giving of the Torah, so that we could speak Hashem's words. And when we speak Hashem's words, so the words of Hashem's mouth are being channeled through our mouth. It's a connection of mouth to mouth, which is called Kabbalistically kissing. And 
And the breath to breath is the connection of the minds. That when we're speaking words of Torah and we're understanding what those words mean, we are connecting our mind to Hashem's perspective on reality. And of course, Hashem and His wisdom are one. It's also called a hog. When we do the mitzvahs with our 248 limbs. The 248, 248 positive commandments are the 248 limbs of the king. So each time we use one of our limbs to do a mitzvah, we are, so to speak, aligning our limb <coughs> with Hashem's limb. Anthropomorphically, metaphorically speaking. So you think about this. The story about the loser sitting on the garbage heap, and one day the king comes down, says, come back with me, brings him to the palace, brings him into the inner chamber, and kisses him and hugs him. <coughs> That's our story. That's our story. We're in the garbage heap in Egypt. Not just that we're oppressed, but we've become spiritually corrupted. And at that point, we were probably at our least lovable. And the fact that the king himself came down to take us out, and not only personally came down to take us out, but then brought us to the inner chamber, meaning the revelation at Sinai, and there gave us the opportunity to learn his Torah and do his mitzvahs, that's like the kisses and the hugs. Learning his Torah is the mouth-to-mouth -mouth connection to channel Hashem's words through our mouths. Mitzvahs mean that we use our limbs to be Hashem's limbs, so to speak, to be his body, so to speak. So that's like the hug, body to body. The meditation is <coughs> we don't even have to aim at love. We don't even have to aim at feeling love toward Hashem. This is all going to happen <coughs> automatically. Because we've already established the reciprocal nature of the heart. It reflects. Like water reflects a face. So all we need to do here is use the meditation to feel loved and then automatically you won't even have to try to do this. It's going to start to jostle something and knock loose a feeling of love toward Hashem, that you will feel loving toward Hashem. And of course, as I've said, pretty much every time we've done any of these meditations, the translation of that love, love is an emotion, it's an energy. It needs to be grounded in some tangible way. So the translation of that love will be in serving Hashem through learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. But not just by rote, not just doing it because it's the right thing or because we were told to do it, but actually to feel an intense, passionate desire to connect to Hashem and to bring gratification to Hashem. Okay, so. I wanted to do 46 and 47, um, but let's do it like this, all right? Let's go. Let's run through the story smoothly. We know all the parts. We know what the, all the meanings. You know what the story is metaphorically, right? Meaning, you could tell it as a bedtime story to a five-year-old. Yeah. 
Okay. And you know what the story is, what it symbolizes, meaning what it really is talking about. Right? I mean, that's what we just did for 45 minutes. So everybody... Okay, fine. All right. So let's go through it. So let's do this meditation. All right. Okay. So here it is. And I'll try to do the metaphor. I'll tell it as the metaphor, but I'll fill it in both levels. Once upon a time, there was a wretched, despised person living in a garbage dump. He didn't even have friends. It wasn't even like he had other guys living in the garbage dump. He was... <coughs> maybe even there were other garbage dump people, but they didn't... Maybe he was like... He was a hermit even among, among garbage dump dwellers. He was, he was alone. Nobody liked him. Everyone looked down at him. He had nobody in the world. Okay? And who is that? That's us. That's us in Mitzrayim. And one day, out of nowhere, out of the blue, a great and awesome king personally comes down to the garbage, to the garbage dump. Meaning one day, Hashem decides, I'm taking you out of Mitzrayim. And he doesn't send an angelic emissary. Hashem himself becomes involved. Of course, we know there's a whole long story, ten plagues, and there should have been a warning pare and all that stuff. But the bottom line is Hashem himself getting involved on our behalf. <coughs> and we were at a very low place. In fact, we know the Medrash says at the time of the splitting of the sea, the sea didn't even want to split because it wasn't sure what the difference was between the Jews and the Egyptians. We didn't see that they were so different. So we were in a very low place. And in that low place, Hashem takes us out. And not only does he take us out, but where does he take us to? He brings us to the closest possible connection. He brings us to this level that we only can describe as the king and the garbage dump guy in an exclusive VIP chamber engaged in a deep connection, soul to soul, kisses and hugs, because this is what happened at Sinai when Hashem gave us access, the deepest possible connection that we could have to Him. He allowed us to be able to channel His Word, to speak His Word, and that is halacha, by the way. Just, I want to clarify this, because... <coughs> mostly because this is going online and a lot of people from other backgrounds listen to these classes and I know when I say God's word they're going to start thinking about the Bible and yes the Bible is and I'm talking about the Tanakh it is the highly condensed code which contains within it all of God's wisdom for humanity. But when we say God's word, what we're talking about is when that 
biblical code is opened up and expanded and translated into specific guidance in how to live our lives. Even very seemingly mundane stuff like, what blessing do you recite on a cup of coffee? Simple stuff like that. Or how to observe Shabbos, or how to conduct your business fairly, or the laws of marriage, or the laws of... Um, how to pray, or any of the, the guidance that halacha gives. And halacha, which is Jewish law, guides us in every single aspect of life. It's a new spin on halacha, by the way, because now I'll switch from speaking to, the, to one crowd to, to speaking to another crowd. People who grew up in a religious Jewish community often think of halacha as the really technical rules. When we're talking about halacha right now, we're talking about Hashem's kisses. We're talking about the fact that He speaks, so to speak, His opinion. It's His opinion. He, when He says, you know, that door needs a mezuzah. <laughs> That's Hashem's opinion. Or that food item, should you should make hamaitzi on it. That's the blessing you should recite before you eat it. That's Hashem's opinion. By the way, when Hashem has an opinion, it's more than an opinion. But I'm saying it's his perspective. Then he puts that into words, and we get to say those words. So think about the alignment that's happening. We are channeling Hashem, expressing him, his, his insight into words, and now we're channeling those words. So that's what we call the mouth-to-mouth -mouth connection. And imagine that's what this meditation is. A guy who had been sitting on the garbage heap 49 days ago, that's the timeline, right? From the time of leaving Egypt until standing at Har Sinai is the seven weeks, <coughs> the day after the seven weeks, the 50th day. So 50 days ago, this guy's sitting on a garbage heap. <coughs> Nobody will talk to him. And now, he's channeling in his mouth Hashem's speech, Hashem's words. So when we think about how heartwarming that story of love is, that incredible love that the king showed the commoner, that Hashem showed us, we don't even have to try to go to the next step. It's just the way the heart is built. He says this is the nature of the heart. Just like water. You don't have to, water doesn't have to try to do anything to reflect a reflection. The heart doesn't have to do anything deliberate to reflect back an emotion. We're going to feel this love and we're going to feel loving. Okay, that's the meditation.